It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 69 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.15, it's the first of a three-segment chat with best-selling author Mark Greeny on the latest installment in his Gray Man series, The Chaos Agent. And in mere seconds, Sark gets paid. And Longhorns Hoops gets a W over Kansas State. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Congrats to Steve Sarkeesian, the head football coach for the Texas Longhorns. It looks like the contract extension that was reported on a few weeks ago is set to become official in the next couple of days. The extension includes a big pay raise that takes Sark from about the 30th best paid coach in college football into the top five. An annual salary that will pay him north of $10 million per year starting this coming season, with that increasing all the way to $10.9 million in 2030. So, pay increase of about $100,000 in each of the next six years. And yes, the contract does go all the way through the 2030 season. And I need to preface this, Longhorn fans, if you're going to get upset with my criticism right now by saying, ultimately, I don't care. It's not my money. The University of Texas has a stupid amount of money. So if they want to spend the money like this on a guy that everybody believes can return to can return Longhorn football to regular prominence, then it's well worth it. I do wonder about the length of that contract all the way to 2030. And if that's maybe not a year or two too long. The $10 million per year, that's the going rate. If you believe you have your guy, you got to pay him that, especially if you're Texas. But I am curious about the years because this last year was the first year that Steve Sarkeesian exceeded expectations placed on him as the head coach of a major school, Washington, USC, and now Texas. First couple of years at Texas, underachieving perhaps with this last year, best conference record in the regular season, winning that conference title in the championship game, making it to the college football playoff coming just a play short of playing for a national championship, that was all great. We watched Sark and his fellow coaches do an excellent job of managing the roster in the offseason and the additional challenges that exist in college football now, NIL, the transfer portal, really having to recruit high schoolers, potential transfer portal guys on your roster, and then transfer portal guys from other schools once that window opens up. It is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year job. But Sark and his staff seem up to the task, more so than many other schools across this country, including Blue Bloods, by the way. We've watched Dabo Sweeney screw that process up at Clemson after it seemed like he was beginning to build a dynasty. With Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh gone now, there is an opportunity there for the taking. And so if you think you have a guy who can help you get there, you have to pay him as such. And so while there may have been too too many years on that contract extension, ultimately, I don't care that much. It's not my money, and UT has a bunch of it. 
or a bunch of other things written into the contract that I'm guessing were a part of his initial contract, including membership to the UT golf club, use of the private plane for up to 20 hours for personal time a year. It's a lot of personal time. And then some other things like that. That was also probably a part of the initial contract. It's just receiving more publicity this time around. But Texas has their guy in Steve Sarkeesian at least through the end of this decade plus a year. Things aren't so optimistic with Longhorn basketball right now since you and I last spoke. Texas got demolished by University of Houston in H-Town, a Cougars team that is nearly impossible to beat at home. Actually, they are impossible to beat at home this year, undefeated at home. And Texas looked like an also-ran in that game, so it was an important matchup last night with the similarly rated Kansas State, at least rated in conference, Kansas State, both teams sitting at 5-7 and seven going into last night's game, And it was Texas that looked like the team that wanted to be there a whole lot more. Kansas State had a couple of guys that looked like they were trying to make something happen. But even though Texas had an off night, they were in control for much of the contest. Dylan DeSue continues to prove that he is one of the best players in this conference, if not all of college basketball. Didn't have a great night shooting from deep, but he did pretty much everything else well. Scoring from the mid-range and down low. Great job passing, good rebounding, played really good defense too. Made some hustle plays throughout the night to energize this team so that even though everyone else on the roster, and I mean everyone else on the roster, had an off night offensively, and part of that is Kansas State playing really good defense, Dylan DeSue helped elevate this team to a victory and a step forward in the conference standings. Not that they were going to celebrate this win for long because Kansas State is in that lower tier of conference standings still before last night and then obviously after last night too since they drop another game. You do need to have a short memory because you get one more trip to Fog Island before exiting Big 12 play and that happens this Saturday. Saturday at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock tip-off against a Jayhawks team that right now finds itself in the top 10. And then after that, you travel to Texas Tech to face a Red Raiders team that has only lost one game at home this year. So a couple of really difficult away contests, one of whom is against a team that's already beat you once this year. Texas Tech winning that game back in Austin in early January. And a Kansas team who you know their fans are going to be fired up to beat Texas one final time in basketball. Texas has a history of going into Fog Allen and winning games, snapping long winning streaks for the Jayhawks in the process. But I'm not holding my breath this Saturday. This feels like we are heading into another beatdown. I hope this team proves me wrong, but this team has not been very good offensively on the road over the last couple of games. And even last night, as I mentioned previously, everyone but DeSue really struggled offensively. I think the word is kind of out on Acemas. Get somebody bigger on him and have him stick to Acemas like glue, and he's going to miss a lot of shots. I want to see him take less of those Steph Curry, Dame Lillard type threes going forward too, hopefully. 
but they need somebody else to step up. It felt like Tyrese Hunter was having a good game in the first half, but ultimately his numbers were fairly pedestrian too. Kendall Weaver, I don't know if he was battling an illness or something else. Was a tiny bit of foul trouble, but he didn't play a whole lot last night. IT Horton, I know they were trying to get him going, encouraging him to shoot. He probably needs to be shooting a little bit less. You like what you see out of Dylan Mitchell from time to time. Just need more consistency there to go along with that rebounding and defensive prowess. Truly one of the best shot blockers in the conference when he is locked in. But they probably do need Max Aismas to return to his scoring ways. Of course, he goes over 3,000 points last night. Just barely. He needed six going into the game. And he got eight. I don't remember if that's a season low for him, but Max Aismas has been more off than on over the last couple of weeks. And so Saturday would be a great time for him to figure it out once again. The College Football Playoff Committee did approve the 5 plus 7 model, dropping that down from a 6 plus 6 model. Of course, the Pac-12 is essentially no more. Technically, Oregon State and Washington State still members of that conference, but they dropped it down to five automatic bids, the four power five, and then the top group of five conference winner in terms of rankings, and then seven at-large bids. Let's take that for what it's worth. All right, coming up, it is a three-segment conversation with best-selling author Mark Greeny. He is the guy behind the Gray Man books, and the newest Gray Man book is out now. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Mark Greeny is a New York Times best-selling author many times over. The guy behind the Gray Man series. Well, the newest Gray Man book is out as of today. It's called The Chaos Agent. It not only involves the Gray Man, but also artificial intelligence. And Mark is now nice enough to join me to talk about that and more. Mark, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I had no problem. And congratulations on the 13th installment to the Gray Man series. That would be Chaos, uh, the Chaos Agent, excuse me. And uh, this one takes a little bit of a different turn. We do still have the Gray Man, but we also have artificial intelligence really coming into the picture now. And while people will frame this as a book about the perils of artificial intelligence, in a lot of ways, it is about the perils of man in his attempt to go uh, Kid Icarus with artificial intel- intelligence and see just how close he can fly to that digital sun without the wax wings uh, melting and having us all plummeting to the ground in the process. Uh, What was the initiation of this idea to infuse artificial intelligence into the latest Gray Man novel, Mark? You know, for the last couple of years, I've been very interested in um, the civilian world's development of artificial intelligence and how the militaries were trying to sort of uh, rope the civilian world into it. And um, I guess I I started out with the premise that it was the militaries that were the danger. But the more I learned as I started researching it, you know, these all the all the big billion dollar civilian companies that are making the the most sophisticated artificial intelligence, uh, they're a danger in themselves. And I thought, you know, gosh, as a thriller writer, you're always looking for what's trouble. And, um, you know, I just I I just saw a care an Elon Musk type character 
who could be sort of on the dark side and, and trying to develop something that is um, an artificial general super intelligence that could, uh, you know, that sort of reframe or just revolutionize war as we know it. And so from there, I just, you know, the the story is about my hero, the gray man. Um, and so it's, it's a boots on the ground type of a story, but it does have these bigger, uh, bigger technology issues at the, at the, at the back of it. That's right. Capitalism can and is a great thing in a lot of ways, but when you get somebody who has nefarious intentions and they create something this powerful and uh, they're not necessarily looking to do good with it, they're just trying to find the, the highest bidder at that point, it becomes a bit of a burden for the rest of humanity. I agree. I mean, I, I think it's fueled by ambition and greed and um, you know, everybody it's uh, there's the old Michael Crichton line from Jurassic park where talking about, you know, genetic development. He's, he's, I think he said something like, you know, everybody was so busy asking if it could be done. Nobody asked if it should be done. And I think that we're, we're in that stage again with a new revolutionary, new technology. And one other thing I love about this book, Mark, is that you don't have to take any liberties with technologies. Uh, you made it a point to only use technologies that currently exist as a part of this book. And that might be shocking and eye-opening to some people. They may think that these some of these uh, technologies are a few years off, but no, that is not the case. And as a matter of fact, it's like we get new headlines every day with regards to chat GBT all of a sudden dropping certain ethics with regards to allowing robots to think for themselves or artificial intelligence to think for itself with regards to warfare or running simulations and the computers all of a sudden just get new cappy. So uh, this is stuff that is in our reality right now, even if it's in its infancy and it does seem like it's flawed in a lot of ways, we just need to think back a few years to realize that none of this even existed five, 10 years ago, or it was still in the developmental stage. So who's to say uh, what's going to happen or what it's going to look like in the next decade? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I stress that there's nothing in this book that's science fiction. Everything's either existing or emerging technology. Um, maybe I've done some things with it that, you know, I haven't read about other people, you know, doing with it as far as the plot. But um, it's all stuff that's out there. And, there, you know, a lot of people say the best AI is not that sophisticated yet because, you know, they asked it to write a paper for them and it made some mistakes. But just as you said, five years ago, this was nothing. And 10 years ago, I think uh, I read that and since 2010, computer hardware expenses to build the, the big AI models has increased 10 billion percent. And the data being used doubles every six months. A lot of resources are being poured into it. These um, technologies are able to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and teach themselves things a lot faster and a lot better than we can teach them. So it is uh, there's a danger of this runaway singularity that can come from it. And the money that's being pumped into developing that technology is also now going into trying to sell the general public on this. Like I, I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl a couple of days ago. It was a record number of people that tuned in for the Super Bowl, wow. and there was a heavy presence of AI and trying to help the public understand just how good it's going to be for people. And there always is a sort of compromise, right? Like it can be good, but can also get to a point where it becomes very bad too. And the bottom line is if you start becoming too dependent on any one technology, whether you're talking about cell phones or computers or anything else, much less AI doing your thinking for you, uh, that's got to be a net negative in the end, I would think. I think so, too. And it's a dual use technology, like a lot of things are. But it is, um, you know, it, it does have these abilities to be used nefariously. And, you know, there's a line in the book, you know, somebody's 
because people ask me all the time, you know, are you for AI or against AI? I always start by saying, well, the research I did for my book was, you know, geared towards the, the dark side. I was looking for I was looking for trouble with with AI. But having said that, you know, my answer to them is like, well, what do you think of fire? Is fire good or bad? You know, if, if the fire is keeping you warm, it's good. If it's burning your house down, it's bad. And it's all in how it's used. And, you know, you talk about the the PR campaign that these people are doing. You know, they, they Sam Altman goes in front of Congress and says, you know, hey, I'm scared about, you know, I'm, I'm a gatekeeper and I'm scared about what we have hiding behind the gates here. So I want regulation. And meanwhile, he's fighting regulation in the EU. And, and meanwhile, while he's doing this and saying we should pause on making it more sophisticated till we have a better handling of it, he's, uh, you know, going to the Saudis and and getting billions of dollars uh, for more development. So it's a little cynical about, you know, some of the ways they they do the PR for it. But, you know, all we can do is hope that it is controlled enough. Yeah, Altman in particular seems like he's doing a lot of talking out of both sides of his mouth. And I'm not sure what his current standing is with OpenAI, but here's the headline that I referenced a few minutes ago. OpenAI cuts military and warfare ban from permissible use policy. So at that point, like we may not feel like that affects us right now. We may feel like the U.S. is at the forefront of this so that it's only going to affect our enemies, so to speak. But uh, this is something that is an enormous negative to humanity because you're talking about computers making independent decisions on the types of weapons that they're firing and however many people they're choosing to kill as a result. And by the way, it's not like the U.S. Is, isn't without enemies who are trying to advance this technology too. Yeah, that's absolutely true. A, a few years ago, Google uh, was working with the U.S. Department of Defense on something called Project Maven, which was using artificial intelligence to go over drone video feeds. And of course, these things always get sort of misconstrued by the general public. And it, and it came out that Google was using AI with the, with our military. So a bunch of Google employees, lots and lots of Google employees signed this letter demanding that we we not you know Google not work with the Department of Defense. So Google said, okay, we won't we won't work on Project Maven anymore. Meanwhile, they've got hundreds of contracts with Chinese companies, all of whom are beholden to the Chinese Communist Party, and and it's all dual use stuff. So even if it's you know the Project Maven was not as nefarious as as a lot of other things that are going on. So I think we're still you know that the ethics of all this still really have to be ironed out, and I don't think you can leave it up to the people who stand to. To benefit, I'm, I'm a I'm a laissez-faire capitalist, you know, guy overall. But you know, regulation has helped with landmines and has helped with nuclear wars, and you know, it, it, nothing's per nothing works perfectly. But you know, you could say, well, gosh, you know, what would child labor laws be? <laughs> you know, what, what would child labor be like if we didn't, you know, have pass labor laws? So I do feel like there's some sort of regulation that needs to be done because, as you said, this. The, these technologies are able to identify, target, you know, search for, find, and kill someone without any human anywhere on the on the kill chain if if that's what they want to do. So, you know, the the potential for harm is really really great. Thank you to Upton Sinclair for helping to advance our labor laws here in this country. Mm -hmm. Do you hope, uh, in maybe a small way, that the chaos agent has a uh, small Upton Sinclair-like impact on uh, how people look at AI and maybe uh, more of a consideration given to uh, putting guardrails in place to help us avoid some of these things? Well, I don't ever want to be preachy with any of my books, but at the same time, as I'm researching something, I, obviously I have my worldview and I form opinions on things. 
and I learn things. I might be reading a really, really boring government document that is so not interesting. And I feel like, well, this is the service I provide to my readers because I find <laughs> the one line in there and I go like, all right, well, that's actually pretty fascinating. You know, I'm going to expand on that. I'm going to fictionalize it and make make it very different <laughs> than how it's, you know, how I'm reading it. And, uh, you know, and, and I hope that people take away something from it. All, all my books, my last book was about uh, Russia's, you know, intelligence uh, involvement with the Ukraine war and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, I have very strong opinions on it. You don't have to agree with my opinions, but if you decide to read the book, you're going to hear them. And, um, you know, hopefully that not even changes people's minds, but maybe just sort of like helps people understand things they might not know about. Well, especially when you're talking about international relations, I know that you uh, you majored in that in college and you've admitted in other interviews that that was a something of interest to, of you, uh, to you going back into childhood. So you spent a lifetime looking into those things. So uh, considering yeah. the amount of research you do for all of these books, uh, people should pay attention to what you have to say about these things, but especially the international relations portion of it all. Yeah, I try not to um, pontificate pontificate about things I don't really know that much about. But um, you know, I've I've spent my nose in my in books my entire life. My dad was uh, the head of the NBC affiliate here in Memphis, where I live. So I just grew up around the news, and um, you know, I had subscriptions to U.S. News and and Economist and Time magazine when I was like 15 years old because I was interested in international affairs. And, um, you know, it's it's never really changed. I got my degrees in political science and international relations. I always said I didn't do anything with it for a long time because it took me 20 years to get published. But now it's, you know, my bread and butter, what I do every day. He's bestselling author Mark Greeny, author of the Gray Man series. The 13th book in that series is out now. It's called The Chaos Agent. Talking about that now and going forward over the next couple of segments here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back with number one New York Times bestselling author Mark Greeny. He is the guy who you will know most for creating The Gray Man, a series of books that now has a movie based on the first of those books starring Ryan Gosling on Netflix. Well, the 13th installment of The Gray Man series is out as of today. It's called The Chaos Agent. Not only does it involve the gray man, but yes, it gets into artificial intelligence for the very first time and man's use of artificial intelligence or exploitation of artificial intelligence and how that could be bad for us all. Mark, considering the amount of research that you did specific to AI and how you admitted that you went looking for the dark side, you've already spelled some of this out. Is there anything else that was especially surprising to you in looking for that dark side about just uh, the... Uh, the potential for harm with artificial intelligence on humanity? Well, gosh, I mean, the state of robotics is is growing very, very quickly. So there, you know, there are robots that would, you know, destroy you in a fight. And there's uh, robot drones that can carry a payload that's a, you know, a robot dog, you know, with a with a 6.5 Creedmoor rifle on its back. These things have all, all exist in prototypes. And so just as there's people really advancing the AI side of it to where the the decision making is going to be correct. And, you know, again, people that say it isn't sophisticated, artificial intelligence, the 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 big language learning models have scored human level scores on the bar exam and the GRE and, and the SAT. So I mean it's it's 
pretty significant. As far as robotics, I mean, the the leaps and bounds that have been made. So when you meld these two things together, I mean, it's, you know, it's potentially very different, you know, dif- uh, dangerous. And, and artificial intelligence has created novel, you know, chemical weapons, novel toxins for chemical weapons. Uh, you know, it's synth- synthesized this stuff. It's defeated uh, the, our best human pilots in, in simulators um, in air-to-air combat. So, um, you know, this is something we all need to be very aware of. It is kind of scary to me. Yeah, Boston Dynamics is especially brilliant and maddening at the same time because they'll put these videos out with the robot dogs who are dancing in unison to jingle bells or something. And then the next video is that same robot dog with uh, one of those aforementioned guns attached to its back, uh, just having dead aim out on a shooting range. Or they'll have the robot that's doing parkour through the warehouse. And then the next video is that same robot just having somebody take a Mark McGuire-type swing with a metal pipe to it and it not even flinching right right yeah the the um the the balance on these things it's just really incredible and you know as i was writing the book i i kept telling myself i i really hope people go on to google and like look and see this stuff because you know if i read it in a book and i hadn't seen that stuff i would i wouldn't believe that it was real or i would you know so you know there there are you know bipedal robots that can move more adroit, you know, adroitly than humans in in many ways. So, I mean, gosh, you know, who knows what's coming, but we got to buckle up. So we're going to shift away from the chaos agent for the second half of this interview, Mark, and uh, get a little bit more personal if that's okay, because you have uh, been open about the writing process and how you've had to change that writing process over the years as you've added family. You now have a wife, three stepkids, four dogs. Is that the, uh, the accurate number of pooches in the household now? that's the that's the the number of dogs I just let out about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, so I, I think that's all I've got these days. My goodness, I've got uh, one wife, thankfully, just one, <laughs> two kids and two dogs, and that seems like way too many uh, species in the household at times. So kudos to you on that one. Uh, what Thanks do you think the biggest challenge is as a parent in 2024, technology or otherwise? Oh, boy. You know, I, I so I'm three years into this, uh, being a stepdad, and the kids have a great relationship with their dad and I actually have a great relationship with, with their dad. Um, so that's all, you know, super smooth and I have a great relationship with the kids. But I mean, to me, the big danger is gosh, you know, I live in a town sadly that is like has more crime than almost anywhere else in America. And, uh, there's reasons where we're, we're not moving. We're, we're staying here for family reasons, but, um, you know, it's the the crime has like gotten closer and closer to us. So now I have a 16 year old who's driving and uh, leaving the house, and and my house is is secure as any house in Memphis as far as gates and and cameras and you know guns and uh, the training I have and all that sort of stuff. But you know, every day you watch while your kids leave, and every day you watch you know here where I live in Memphis, it's, uh, you know, they just let a guy out on bond for attempted first degree murder. And first thing he did was went and shot four people and, and, you know, uh, uh, kidnapped somebody or whatever, you know, is it, that's just sort of, so our, our government isn't really doing us any favors here. Um, so I, to me in 2024, the most dangerous thing is, you know, just keeping kids safe and, and also social media and TikTok and all these things that, uh, you know, there's really nothing good that comes out of this stuff as far as I'm concerned. No, my, I I don't know. uh, You said you have a 16 year old now. I don't know how young the youngest is. I've got a nine and seven year old and 
at least half their classes, they're in second and third grade, half their classes already have phones. And so I'm already receiving that pressure. And it's like, no, we're holding off on this for as long as possible. When you finally do get that technology, because there is a way to teach them how to use these things responsibly versus just having their face stuck to the screen for the entirety of a day, it's probably just going to be phone calls and text messages at first. And gradually you'll get more and more responsibility if you prove the ability to, uh, to understand uh, just the, uh, the proper way to use these things. But there are yeah. a lot of people out there, and not trying to be too critical of other parents right now, but they've just kind of succumbed to the pressure that uh, society places on it with regards to making sure that uh, your kids are, are constantly satisfied with that, uh, that digital stimulation. But by the same token, how many of those kids are going to have a hard time just being present in the moment or human-to-human interaction now or, or uh, much more importantly in the future when you do actually have to be a little bit more independent and think on your feet and think more critically and not have your parents do all of that for you? Yeah, you know, we have we have um, rules, you know, no phones at the table at, at dinner and stuff like that. So you you, you pick your little battles and, and you fight them. And also there is, there is some technology that's beneficial. I mean, sure. we can... We can see uh, with my 16 year old who's only been driving for about two months, we can see how fast she accelerates when she's in another part of town or, or whatever um, because of technology. So that's a benefit. But um, yeah, there's 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 so much to sort of be concerned about and to keep an eye on. And it's so different from when I'm 56 years old. So it's so different from when I grew up. You know, the fact that, you know, my stepdaughter can, you know, FaceTime with her boyfriend, uh, you know, is is kind of alarming to me because my little head would have exploded when I was that age, if I was, if I had those opportunities. So, you know, you just, things are always changing and I'm always telling the kids when they think that I'm being a Luddite or I'm being too, you know, old fashioned, I'm always like, yeah, my parents said the same thing and your kids will say the same thing. And, you know, it's just like, we're all playing our roles here and doing the best we can. Yeah, no doubt about that. Now, you've had to change your writing process over the years. As you've admitted previously, you used to love to go to Starbucks, first thing in the morning, put rain on the headphones and just yeah. uh, pound out however many words is the goal for the day. But that's had to change with uh, about uh, 13 different uh, uh, life forms in the household now. So even though you do more writing at home, in part because you're also uh, getting recognized more in Memphis when you go to your local Starbucks, are you still writing with the rain first thing in the morning when you do your writing? Yeah, I usually have my headphones on and and the sound of rain. And I've just I've been doing that since many, many years before I got published, you know, when I was just working on writing and it kind of distracts me. Um, I, I, I'm fortunate that my office is detached from the main, you know, from our house. It's a, it's kind of like, it was built for the in-laws of the previous owners. Um, so it's just a little one bedroom, one bath office is where I am now. And it's 35 steps out the back door and kids never come back here. Cause there's nothing interesting back there here for them. And the dogs usually stay away, um, so it's it's pretty secluded, and I and I like it. I I really did like going to coffee shops and stuff. And when I travel, I always go to coffee shops or hotel lobbies or something somewhere out in public. I feel like I'm more responsible. I work I work harder, and I don't you know drift as much. But yeah, here in Memphis, if if I go to a coffee shop within 10 minutes, somebody's going to sit down and ask me to write a book about their uncle or something. And, you know, it's, if, if I'm trying to make it my workspace, that's, that's kind of on me. I need to find a place that is my workspace. So if you go to sleep overnight and a huge storm rolls through and it's a storm that's lasting for a couple of hours, does that serve as a sort of idea incubator for you? Do you wake up in the morning? Like, Ooh, I know where I can take this story next. 
Yeah, it, it, stuff like that comes at the weirdest times. I'll, I'll be walking my dogs or working out or something like that. A lot of times I'll be listening to a podcast for research while I'm working out. And then I'll just say, wait, you need to stop this and just go into your brain while you're working out for a half an hour because mm -hmm. you're on the cusp of figuring some plot point out or whatever it is. And um, and then it'll come to me. Uh, the sound of rain is I don't know why it, it just sort of like it it blocks out other things. It doesn't make me tired like it makes other people tired. Um, uh, just I think I've just tuned my brain for that. And I've tried, you know, I, I have friends who are authors who are like you. You should listen to like really inspiring uh, movie soundtracks and stuff like that. And I've tried that and I just focus on the music. So <laughs> it doesn't work for me. I need I need the white noise. Walking's a huge one too. I mean, uh, a leisurely walk, I should say. If you're uh, having to walk swiftly through a, a, a crazy urban setting where you're, if you're not paying attention, you're going to get run into or yeah. uh, maybe get run over by a car. But yeah, that leisurely walk, I mean, the uh, ancient philosophers were huge fans of that because it just allowed you to uh, to get into the, uh, the inner passages of your brain, I guess, and uh, think a little bit more creatively about things. Yeah. Yeah. So I, with my dogs, we have a hundred acre dog off leash dog park here in Memphis, about 15 minutes from my house. And, um, certain times a year we go every day and I've, I've been on a really bad, uh, deadline since I guess November <laughs> and it's still going on in, into the release of this book. I've turned the book. This is for another book. I've turned it in, but I'm in the editing process. So I haven't had my afternoons free to take the dogs to the dog park, but that hour just walking around there uh, every day is I've gotten some of my best ideas. He is best-selling author Mark Greeny, the mind behind the Gray Man books. The 13th installment of the Gray Man series is out now. It's called The Chaos Agent. Mark is nice enough to join me to talk about that and more. And coming up, we finish up our conversation on the other side with Mark Greeny, the Chaos Agent, here on Sports Day Plus on 1027 ESPN. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. Final segment with Mark Greeny. He is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Gray Man series. And the 13th installment of those books is out as of today. It's called The Chaos Agent. Not only has to do with the Gray Man, but artificial intelligence and man's role in possibly ruining humanity for all due to AI. And Mark, you said something in a YouTube video earlier today, actually, is when it came out. I want to give the uh, the video credit because it was a really good conversation. Can You Survive This Podcast is the name of the uh, the YouTube show. Great show. Yeah. Check it out. Mark uh, has a, a great conversation with the uh, host. But you said something in that conversation that I found so profound and talking about really grinding at the start of your writing career, not really having any success early on, but still having a certain belief in self. It was something to the effect of it seemed like every time I failed, I got a little bit closer to that end goal. Do you have a moment of failure or a biggest moment of failure from your life that provided you a profound lesson that you still carry with you to this day? Oh my gosh, so many. I, I am not one of those navel gazing people. And I, so I haven't had a lot of epiphanies in my life, but, you know, I think of failure. I, I, I was going through some medical stuff in 2017. I was already an established writer or whatever, but um, I had some, uh, a bad ankle surgery and there was, it was infected. Uh, there was a chance I was going to lose my foot. And 
Um, I, I was on crutches and every day for eight weeks, I had to drive myself to an infusion clinic to get these antibiotics. And, um, I'm, I'm in on my crutches going through a, a rainstorm. Um, cause I had to, you have to go seven days a week if you want to keep your foot. And, uh, and I just remember going like, wow, this is like, this is bleak, like a, you know, Charles Dickens novel, you know, suddenly, and, and my life is, you know, is, I've, I've had a lot of luck, you know, but some of my luck has been bad. And I just remember thinking it's like, gosh, you get past this and, you know, you you just you need to be one of those just goofy, positive people who cares what other people think, because you you just need to sort of spread the fact that, you know, um, you know, you're fortunate to be here and and other people should feel the same way. So, you know, that that came behind me. You know, I've had other, pro, you know, like my first book, I never even showed it to an agent. My second book, I showed it to an agent and he wasn't interested, but he thought I was a good writer. And my third book, he was like, Hey, probably some agents would pick this up, but I think you could do better. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, could you give me the names of those guys you think might pick it up? Cause I'd love to call them right now, <laughs> but he, he was absolutely right. And he's my agent to this day. So I wrote the fourth book, which was the gray man. And, um, so yeah, like you said, it's, I, I always felt like I was failing, but I was falling forward each time and I was in a better position than I was a year ago. So, um, you know, I, I also really like to write. So that, that helps people all the time will, you know, ask me for inspiration to write. And I'm just like, you, if you need inspiration from, from, from me, that's not really a good sign. You should just really enjoy doing it and don't worry about, you know, um, inspiration, just do it when you want to. And because you want to. Also in that, in Can You Survive This Podcast interview, you mentioned that you've experienced something since childhood that has really helped you as an adult and as a writer as well called maladaptive daydreaming. I had not heard of this before, but it makes a lot of sense for me and actually one of my kids too. So what exactly is maladaptive daydreaming and how is it so beneficial for you as an adult? Well, I, um, I had never heard of it before, maybe two years ago. And I was just sort of describing my childhood to to a, a buddy of mine who's a psychiatrist, and he's like, "Do you think do you think you suffered from maladaptive dr- daydreaming?" And I'm like, "Wow, I already know what that is, you know, just by the the name." I was like, "Oh my god, you just described my entire life," and you know, and and it benefits me in writing. It's it's definitely a detriment in other ways, you know. I was I was a, a kid that whose mind wandered, you know, in school to the extent that I didn't know where I was. Um, and I, I think a lot of people probably have it. It's, it's, you know, maladaptive is, is kind of a hard word for it. You know, it's, I just, my, my mind liked being, you know, off doing its own thing whenever I had this sort of unstructured time in my life. And sometimes I guess when my time was structured, I was still daydreaming. Well, I feel, and, uh, I feel like a better term for it is you're just like a, a daydreamer. Because daydreaming yeah, yeah. is is you just kind of getting lost in your own thought and the surroundings matter very little, right? R- right. And I, the maladaptive part is when they feel like it negatively impacts aspects of your life, which which it probably mm-hmm. did when I was younger in school and in and, and my education. But uh, now it's obviously a, a benefit. Um, my wife will say that, you know, she'll, she'll come up to me and say, like, what are you thinking about right now? Because I'm, I have this, you know, distant look in my face and I'm, you know, it's like, I'm thinking about how to land a plane backwards on an aircraft carrier or some, you know, thing that's going to be in a story. And uh, it's just a, it's just a natural way for my brain to work and it's too late to change it now. And I should be thankful for it. How dare kids not be totally focused on arithmetic or writing or reading or anything else in school? How dare they be thinking about anything else? Let's just, uh, 
let's just throw Adderall or something else at them to make sure that they can stay laser focused on, on school at the age of six or seven. Yeah, that's what's going on. Although I will say that I wish I had studied, uh, paid it more attention in English class. That would have been really beneficial to me. Um, I was not the best English student. And I always hasten to say that's not me going, you don't have to be a good English student to make it as a writer. It's like, God, that would it would help me every single day of my life. Um, if I paid attention in eighth grade grammar, it really would have been beneficial. Yeah, so I need to admit to you that I'm a huge fan of the uh, Joe Rogan podcast, and it was pretty mm-hmm. much a year, ago, a year ago to this day that you were on really? the Joe Rogan Experience. What was that like? Yeah. Oh, it, it was, uh, I, I was nervous about it just because I'm, I'm not nervous about being in front of people. I'm just nervous about saying something, you know, that I, I regret in millions of people watching it. But I kind of have, have this issue and I'm doing it now. It's like after about five minutes of an interview, I kind of forget I'm an interview and I'm just talking. Yeah. And uh, so I was kind of like, oh crap, you can't do that when, you know, on that stage. <laughs> but I did totally. Joe, Joe like has no notes or anything. You just sit down and just start talking. And I, I kept like letting my, you know, look around, like, wh- where's he getting all this stuff that he's talking to me about? And it was just out of his head. And we went for almost three hours. I'd gotten a, you know, a note from them saying like the, the interview would run about three hours. And I've watched millions of clips of his show uh, on YouTube or anybody that's interesting to me, but I've never like watched a whole show. I had no idea. And I was sitting there going like, what do I have to talk to Joe Rogan about for three hours? And then, you know, two minutes with the guy and you're like, you don't have to worry about that. Just talk, you know, just he'll, he'll run the show and you just, and you just talk. So it was, a uh, it was a lot of fun. And I, I didn't walk away, you know, upset that I'd said something I shouldn't have, or didn't say something I should have. You uh, may be one of the top storytellers on the planet right now, considering uh, just how many books you crank out, how many bestsellers you crank out, just the quality of work remains as high as it is. I know that, you say at some point you're going to have to slow down this pace, but hey, if you're able to keep it up right now, good for you on that. What's the key to a really good story, Mark? Uh, gosh, a key to a good story. Well, I always tell writers the first thing you, you have to know. I only know thrillers, so this is you know this is probably maybe not universal, but you have to know what your villain wants, and the the better you know what your villain wants, the better you can build stuff around it. But there's, there's a lot of aspects to it. I mean, you have to have characters that people care about because it doesn't matter how good your plot is. If no nobody cares about the characters, you know, it's nobody, nobody has that investment. And, you know, I try and write tension on every page. It's just kind of my mantra. It doesn't, it's not all gunfights. It's not all swinging, you know, off of a building. Um, I want there to be tension in people's relationships and tension in, you know, you know, the, the ticking clock and all these other things, um, I think help build the story. But I would say having a really good understanding of your villains wants and building rich characters that people care about are probably the two most important things. I think it may be a simple answer here, but what does the villain want in the chaos agent? Well, it, I, I can't give away too much, but I will definitely say the, the villain, um, thinks he's outsmarted everyone else and is, is, has developed something that he, um, he is, it's multi-layered, but there's something that the, the villain, uh, expects from his, from his efforts. And it's more important than his own life. And it's more important than, um, you know, society, you know, the it's, 
artificial intelligence is a villain in the book because again that, i didn't go looking for it to be but um you know it's very much a human story with you know spies and as human assassins and all these things as well so that was um you know the villains there's a lot of villains in this book <laughs> to put it to put it mildly and final question mark what do you love about the gray man you know, I like his, uh, probably the worldview. I like um, sort of exploring different things that happen, you know, currently, you know, in, in the world and developing that. You know, I, I want to develop him as a character. I like the psychology of the character and thinking about that sort of stuff. I just really enjoy, I, I enjoy the series. I Once I started working with Tom Clancy after my third book, um, I've, expanded the series to be a little less like die hard, a little less just straight action and a little bit more, um, you know, larger scope, larger scale. And that, that seems to be my sweet spot. That's what I like to write about and think about. So I kind of have the series right where I want it. And I want to just make every book different from the last and hopefully as good as or better than the last. That's my, that's my only ambition in life right now. I think you continue crushing it over and over again. He is Mark Greeny, uh, many time over best-selling author. And yes, the latest book in the Gray Man series is out now. It's the 13th installment. It's called The Chaos Agent. You get it now wherever books are sold. Mark, thank you so much for the time today. Really enjoyed the conversation. I know you've got another book, not Gray Man, but another novel coming out in June. I would love to catch back up then if you're up for it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do it. Enjoyed this. All right, another show is in the books. Quick programming reminder before I bid you adieu. Join me tomorrow, starting at 6, of course. At some point during the show, I will be speaking with Justin Wells of Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com for our weekly chat. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening today. I will talk to you tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.